What happens when a guy from the city accidentally contacts a guy from the country? It's not what you think. They strike up a conversation and same difference is created. JD and Corey talk the whole gamut of life as they each see it through the prism of race. One is a six foot four black man and one is a five foot four white man. Tune in and find out which is which. Agree or disagree, they will make you think, strike emotional chords, and more. Stick around. You might just learn something. Welcome to Same Difference with your hosts, JD and Corey. We're sharing our stories and how our stories impacted our approach to life. We take our perspectives into having dialogue about real life topics. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Same Difference Podcast. I am J.D. Mass, one of your co-hosts, and I am here with Corey May from Welcome Iowa. Welcome aboard, Doctor. Doctor, so good to see you. Thank you. It's great to see you, too. And it's great to be heard by everybody. Um, once again, we want to send a shout out to VPR Radio to Kiana and DJ FMI for continuously showing us love and support. And I wanna just send some shout outs to the Race For What team because they are working hard behind the scenes to help us put this together. And as promotions start to kick up, they are going to be very important in that process. So Essie, Nidhi, uh, Lamar, Lemire, I just want to send a shout out to everybody um, who's doing the work for us and watch out for Lemire John because he's coming. That's mm. all I want to say about that. JD, I want to echo what you were saying. Thanks for the Race for What team. Thank you. The amazing work that you do makes us sound good. And to DJ FMI and Kiana the Goddess. Thank you for making us look good. And I've got a couple shout outs to some friends who are listening. So if you aren't on my radar, just send us a note. Right. To my friend, Justy, Justy in Cedar Rapids. Thanks very much to my friend, JP, all the way up in Canada. Thank you. They have told me things that they like about the show and given us a little bit of feedback as to how we can improve the show. And we appreciate that. Yes, we do. All feedback is welcome. Same difference broadcast at gmail.com. That's same difference broadcast at gmail.com. You can submit any of your questions uh, concerns, comments, and um, ideas for what you'd like to know about us and our journey through this lens of Black and white and uh, this learning experience that we've been able to experience in our lives. And hopefully you're able to learn from us too. Oh, got so, one more shout out, JD. One okay. more shout out to my friend yeah, Elizabeth who gave me this feedback, and I want to share this with you. 
she is happy that we're doing this, but she was just a touch impatient because she wanted to hear us start to grapple with more of the issues. As she commented uh, just a second later, a sentence later, I get it though, because you are meeting JD at the same time I'm meeting JD. And I just sometimes want to assume that you already know everything about each other. And then she said, keep doing what you're doing. Also to yeah. my friend, Shell. Thanks, Shell. Lots of lots of shout outs today. All right. So speaking on that, though, Corey, I, I definitely think you and I have talked about this and we will be getting more and more into issues as there's less and less to know about each other or learn about each other as far as um, there'll always be things we're going to learn about each other and this will be the center and, and focus of the podcast. But yes, um, part of what we're doing is not just learning about each other and hopefully you're learning about us too, but in the learning process, we're establishing ourselves through our stories that this is how we got the perspective that we're going to be sharing with you on the topics. And there's honestly going to be more and more continuous topics at hand. And so uh, we want to even be updating people and having live conversations and, and that, that's all to come. And, and we're looking forward to building this. So uh, thank you all for your support and great feedback. So Corey, Doctor, we've been talking quite a bit about high school and some of that age, younger age. As we're moving into adulthood, though, what were some of the social things that took place in Iowa City? What was some of the ways that you really got to hang out and experience maybe multiple cultures or just culture of Iowa City at that young going into adulthood age from late high school on? That's a great question. So we're assuming that this is all after school hours. What do we do nights and weekends? Sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you were social in school too, if you wanna share that, but your teachers may still hold some grudges on that one. Uh, yeah. So on, especially nights, Nights, a lot of times it was homework, but we would go do the usual things that anyone did in the 80s, and I am dating myself. There were video game arcades. You would hang out at the mall because that was the center of community. There were two malls in Iowa City. There was Sycamore Mall, which was on the east side, and then there was Old Capitol Mall, which was downtown, which was easy for the folks on the west side to get to and easy for the folks on the east side to get to as well. There were movie theaters in each, there were food places in each, and that was kind of a hub from the time that you were, oh, when you were unsupervised, let's say 12 to 15, there was a lot of the video game stuff that happened. There was the Orange Julius, which was this great orange juice drink joint that, was just it was really cool good just good stuff and arby's so if we set the scene around food and drink and entertainment then the mall was this hub of social activity 
And being that it was downtown, very close to campus, you had broad intersections of everybody, parents, teachers, students, kids, they all would go to the mall because it was the place to be. And you would go there to, to see people and to be seen by other people as well. In the mall, you also had your department stores, just like everybody else, J.C. Penney's. There was a local uh, or upper Midwestern uh, store called Yonkers. That was higher end, and it worked. So the mall is this hub. On the weekends, though, Friday night and Saturday night, we would scoop the loop or cruise all or do just doing loops around downtown Iowa City. And you would have people coming in from the surrounding suburbs, the, the little towns, and they would come in and, and drive around and the boys would do it and the girls would do it. It was all, again, trying to be seen and seeing who was out there. Many relationships, uh, short-term or long-term, developed out of catching someone's eye and, and striking up a conversation. I was often just a wingman uh, on those adventures, but good funny things happened as well. If you want to dig behind the scene a little bit, there is a good deal of drinking as well because right one there was nothing else to do i shouldn't say nothing else to do it was easy to get drinks uh, you'd pay a college student to go buy you some alcohol and if you had 20 bucks they'd get you a couple of cases of beer and keep five ten bucks for themselves it was easy to do it was easy to, to manipulate the system and then we'd go sit down by the river, talk a whole bunch of teenage nonsense, throwing the cans or the bottles into the river. Sometimes we'd recycle because we were trying to do the right thing. But so that's why our Mississippi St. Louis region had all these cans and trash because of you guys up in Iowa. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> At least I know who did. Uh, remember, when you're a teenager, your brain is not fully developed. And that's my story. That's my alibi. I'm going to stick with that. As we progressed, though, once we graduated from high school, it was 1986 that the, the laws for drinking changed. When I was younger, the drinking age was 18. So I was in I was nine or 10. I remember reading that the drinking age changed to 18 and it was there. It had changed to 18. Yeah, it was. At, it, used to hear stories of like Kansas, you could be 16 or whatever kind of thing. And like, we didn't know whether that shit was true or, or what, but I guess some, some places. Yes. Well, yeah, well, we would hear that same sort of thing about over if if you went to Wisconsin, you could get beer at 18. Well, I remember that when I turned 18, it was still, 
it was still kind of not so much toxic. I couldn't get into the bars yet, but I was I was 18, which meant I could drive and I could vote. Um, well, actually, you could drive at 16. Uh, you could get your permit at 14. As long as there was an adult in the car, you could drive at 15. And then at 16, you could get your driver's license and go on. But I remember distinctly. What happens when you live where country roads are dirt and everything. Sorry. Oh, oh, <laughs> you got jokes. That's another shot. Yes. That's another shot. Okay. All right. JD got jokes. It was the beginning. It was after my freshman year that the law changed in Iowa. And if you were born before June 30th, or may, I think it was July 1st, if you were born before July 1st, you could uh, buy alcohol, you could uh, go to bars and at 19. If you were after the July 1st deadline, you had to wait until you were 21 to drink in bars. And there was this giant schism <laughs> between the ages because now there was no one who was 18 and there was no one who was 19 uh, after July 1st. There was just this big kind of wasteland until you were turning 21 and then you jumped in and then you jumped in and then you jumped in and two years later I had a number of friends who were freshly minted into being able to drink and it was no big deal for all of us we've been here for a couple of years man <laughs> you were one of the ones that made the cut oh so yeah to speak, oh yeah and had other friends that did not oh that absolutely it was, it was, it was a little bit awkward, but at some point or another, your friend circles changed a little bit because you hung out with the folks that could drink. And if you were going to be dry, you'd hang out with your friends who couldn't drink. No big deal. But socializing there was just, at, at some point, the novelty of being able to drink just wore off. wore off so it's it used to be woo, trying to crash trying to uh, crush a uh, beer can on your forehead kind of stuff and at some point or another it's like nah i'm gonna be here and chill that's a white people thing go ahead <laughs> yeah that that it is it is <laughs> but there wasn't there was no real reason to be drunk and obnoxious there was no real reason to it um at least as far as i felt about it when we were back in high school again there would be keg parties people if you have if you lived on a farm you had an acreage you could have your keg out in the middle of a cornfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I get all the jokes. You could have your keg in the middle of a cornfield. You could have a bonfire and no one's going to know because you're in the middle of this area. 
there's a whole bunch of cars parked out there. Boom. Was that sometimes uncomfortable? Yeah. If you're out in the middle of the country and you're the only black guy there, you need to keep your eyes and ears on a swivel. Yeah, I was going to ask about that um, because when we get to talking about mine, cruising was a a black, predominantly black thing in St. Louis. So, oh yeah, go ahead. I would like to know a little bit more about in the middle of a cornfield because I'm already afraid of for you. Well, (laughs) nothing bad ever happened, but there was always this sense of keep your head on a swivel, don't drink too much. And many of my friends didn't quite understand it, why I was somewhat uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. If if you're going in a group with uh, 10 deep, that's not a big thing. That's not a big, big thing. I can be in the middle of all that. But if it's just me, I, that would end up like on uh, the Discovery Channel. Fluffy, the three-legged gazelle on the edge of the herd, that would be me, right? right. I, I ain't down to be fluffy, right? There was a lot of adoption of, again, because we're in Iowa, a lot of country music, and sometimes the attitudes were not as friendly to me as I might like. It is what it is. But what it taught me more than anything is in situations like that, you look out for yourself. Keep your eyes and ears on a swivel. Keep your head on a swivel. Don't drink too much. Be mindful of your interactions. And it made me be very mindful, again, of who it is that I drink with. Yeah. We may have talked about this. I'll I'll reinforce this point. It's we can go to McDonald's and I can eat in every, I can eat with all those people in McDonald's, but the people with whom I choose to dine and have at my table is a select few. I feel that same way about with whom I drink. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets to see behind that. Not everybody gets to see someone when we're drinking at all. We don't we don't do that. I don't just drink randomly with everybody anymore. Well, and to an extent, when you're using an enhancer, uh, whether it's alcohol, smoking weed, whatever, there has to be some level of trust at in a you know that you're going to be okay allowing right. yourself to be um, vulnerable with these, you know, with these drugs or alcohol kind of thing. Right. The the drug scene was not so important to me. Um, and drinking as I grew older became less and less important. I metabolize alcohol fast. So it's, it's not a big thing anymore. If, if I drink, it's, uh, to celebrate and usually it's just like one drink and we call it good yeah so when you're in these places does does the social experience of 
having kind of your crew versus still being in the minority there give you a level of of being able to differentiate how you judge white folks um, because we're so segregated as a culture, especially growing up in the eras in which we grew up and our parents grew up, it, you know, it, it was a thing to be a minority in, in a certain situation. And quite often black folks had to find themselves in minority and work or other things. But in these social settings, you didn't have to find yourself in those things. I would, I mean, probably less for you because the, of the amount of population in the, in the city you grew up in. But did it give you that experience that you noticed as you went older um, and, and moved around that, hey, I don't have the same judgments or different, you know, ways of looking at it? Uh, yes and no. Yes, okay. in terms of individual people. Yeah. No, in terms of large groups. Mm -hmm. I feel safe around individuals right. of, of, uh, of a history that has proven to me that, hey, I can simply be, right? Right. Large groups, depending on the situation, that's a horse of a different color. I need to keep, again, keep my wits about me. Um, it's, this is where the term woke came from, not mm -hmm. the, the way the word has been co-opted by mm -hmm. the right in the last 10 years. But woke means, what? I would say both sides. Fair enough. Everybody's got their definition, but go ahead. Yeah, woke was not this giant umbrella of we are going to just throw everything under the sun under this. And it is the, the umbrella that covers every pet project for every type of person right. or on the other side of it, every hated thing that you think is the decline of Western civilization. No, woke was about, hey, you need to keep your eyes and ears open wherever you go, because you can be murdered. And this goes back to, uh, I believe, a Lead Belly song way back in the 20s. And it was amplified again through different other black media, up to and including the, the Green Book for Negro Travelers. That was all about being woke. Now, in that context... In that context, it's knowing where you can and cannot stay, mm -hmm. knowing where you can and cannot eat, right. knowing those places where you can stop safely for gas, and those places where you may be at absolute peril for being for being murdered. And that's woke right there right. that's not diminishing everybody else but it is saying you need to pay attention to where you live where you are don't be like i you like i alluded to in the minute a uh, minute ago fluffy the three-legged gazelle on the edge of the herd because right. you're gonna get taken out like that so to piggyback and, and flip side on that like our thing was don't get caught sleeping 
right? Right. Perfect. And that's where that's the sort of you know that's uh, the 12-inch dance mix. That's the right. B side of being right. woke. Exactly. Of yeah. being woke. Don't be caught sleeping is the B side of being woke. Right. Interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect analogy. And so you would pay attention uh, where you were going. And if you didn't feel like it was going to be a safe place, you didn't go. It was right. just that simple. It was just that simple. Yeah. It's, was there a point, is cruising still going on in Iowa City? I don't know, because usually, you know, um, you're an older gentleman now. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. You know, dinner at four thirty, because getting close to that right now. Dinner at four thirty, and and you know, uh, a second episode of Golden Girls, and I might be asleep on my couch. <laughs> don't hate on Golden Girls. Now. Oh no, you know I'm not. But I, I have to watch Living Single before that. Then, then I can uh, gives you the cultural pass. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. We'll definitely do an episode on television shows. But of course. <laughs> but there was there was great joy though in still being able to pick and choose your spots mm-hmm. and to see people that you cared about, right? Yeah. So there'd still be watching football games. There'd still be grabbing, uh, watching movies. Because remember back in the day, well, maybe you won't remember. I do. Vi- uh, video cassette recorders, the VCRs and the, the, the tapes, those long before DVDs and Blu-ray and streaming. Right. You would rent videos and you'd go to somebody's house and you might have 15 people in your in your basement watching a movie on a television and maybe one or two, depending on what time the whole thing starts. Sometimes, hey, be here at five o'clock. We've got a whole bunch of movies and we'd leave at 1230 or one o'clock in the morning, go on home. Boom. Now, ideally, we would pay attention to curfews, curfews of midnight. But sometimes we blew past that. It, when people think that I live in the sticks. It's not really that slow. It's not. Not when you've got, a, again, a university in your backyard. University always had things to do. And a lot of my friends were involved, either as performers um, with the university. I had a whole bunch of friends who were in dance, like ballet, and they performed with uh, university productions or singers. But there was always something to do. And it didn't always include drinking. <laughs> so, as you went off to college, and I know we'll talk more about that, you went away from from Iowa. Did oh, you did. notice? A, did you feel a, a difference in the social, in the way you were able to socialize? And I know we'll get into this much deeper in the next. Oh. Just that from the from the Iowa City to DC was it right? Oh, I went to Atlanta after after okay. my senior year of of college. I mean, my senior year of high school. <laughs> I was a freshman, and that's a whole nother story for a different time. Oh, right. 
so but just from the feeling of the difference in how you hung out oh yeah much different much different to go from iowa city to atlanta big cultural big cultural shock yeah. now you were gonna you were had asked me about uh, cruising and I, yeah. I will give you a very brief story about Please. cruising it's between my junior and senior years. Junior year is in the rearview mirror, and we're all looking forward to our senior year. And what do we do on a weekend? We go scoop the loop. We go cruising through downtown Iowa City. There was just a, a course that everybody would go through. And we'd look to see the girls, and they'd look to see us as guys. And sometimes someone would talk. We're having a great night. That is until one of my homeboys decides to moon everybody on Clinton. Okay. And there's some cat calls and everything, but it was a good plan. It was a great plan and it would have worked except there was a police car in the alley. And all of a sudden, there's red lights in the rearview mirror. And our driver, I hope he names anonymous because I want to protect the somewhat innocent, decides that he's going to run. He's going to drive and, and outrace the cop. Well, we learned real quickly that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> lights are on, and the officer pulls out his revolver and points it at the driver. We stop. From like beside it or from behind? From beside it. And he wow. veers up in front of it and he's got his gun out and he's pointing it at the driver. Now, I stand out in most crowds, as everybody can guess. And we get out and the officer barks, I saw an ass some uh, out of one of these. Uh, I, saw, I saw someone's ass out of these windows. And I step forward and say, it wasn't me. And he looks me up and down and says, I know, son, it was a white one. And in that moment, it was okay to be different. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> he goes on to say, that's not cool. Bad things can happen. Don't let it happen again. Everybody in there is duly chastened. We get back in the car. And we all start to laugh. And they, they say, Corey, why? You, you took control of that situation. And I said, it was the only thing that I knew to do to make sure my ass was covered. Right. They fell out laughing. And there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, JD, enough talking about me and my butt. Here's... My question for you, you mentioned cruising culture. It sounds like it was largely black in University City. Tell me, tell me about that and tell me stories about how you felt in the cruising culture. So, yeah, like you, we had several malls that we would go to um, to hang out during the day. And cruising was mainly a Sunday thing. So for us, um, 
it started off at Forest Park, which if you know anything about St. Louis, Forest Park is our huge park in the middle of the city. I wanna say it's the second largest from what I heard of an inner city park. Um, got the zoo, got the, uh, the art museum, several other museums, history and different museums, you know, botanical like little domes and the science center. So there's all these windy roads, ponds and things. It's a beautiful place to hang out and just chill and, you know, inside the city, but not really in the city life. <clears throat> and um, Sunday, that's where cruising took place during the daytime. And uh, so that was when I first experienced it. Oh, my goodness. I was so happy to see it because as much as Black culture took care of me and my friends families took care of me i was always concerned about you know where we could go and hang out and sort of be safe and and, and like parties you always had this element of when are the police going to be called and when you know when is this thing going to be broken up whether it was at a church at an event you know the skating rink was another place that was kind of a safe haven but when we got old enough to drive and go out to the park on Sunday, oh my gosh, it was just lined up cars and you would cruise through and then you would cruise again through and then you would find your place to park so that as the opposite sex was cruising through, they would get to see you and maybe they would wanna stop and holler, right? So you do your scoping and then you do, you know, you look for your kind of place. And as time went on, you kind of got used to, hey, this is our area where we want to go and, and hang out. This is our area where we want to go and hang out. And that was a huge, I mean, that was just fun times. From there, you would wait until the police would kind of come and go, all right, enough's enough. You're, it's getting dark, you know, or getting ready to get dark. You go home and you would go home for a little bit. Maybe those who indulged in smoking weed would smoke some weed, do some whatever, do maybe some even drinking. Um, that was done partly at the park too, but then you would get to go and we would get to go to an intersection that had all these fast food restaurants in the north side of the city. And the White Castle at Natural Bridge and Kings Highway was like the mark of where you wanted to, that was the prime spot, but basically Natural Bridge and Kings Highway was the intersection, right? And you'd go down, maybe a couple of stoplights, turn around, and the cruising just took place for hours in the dark at night. And it was just a really fun place to be. Um, every now and then there would be a level of violence and, and that was always used as sort of the reason why that needed to be shut down. But for the most part, it was truly just a beautiful, beautiful experience that probably reduced the level of violence more so than caused anything like that. And I just remember how it was, how it was used, that small amount of violence from, okay, no longer in Forest Park. Forest Park was the premier park. You can now go into the park in the North 
city and that was O'Fallon Park. And so now we were in O'Fallon Park and there was a different kind of feel to it. It was a little bit more grimy, but it was still like, you know, still cruising. And uh, there was probably a few less white folks, but there was always a, only a few white folks in general out there anyway. Um, and never would you just see, might see a couple of white girls just hanging out together, but you would never really just see a group of white folks. It would be a white friend like myself in that. So did the white folks have a place where they cruised? I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, as you're saying this, that that happened in Iowa City, it made me go, hmm, I wonder if I just don't know that white folks actually cruised out in Chesterfield or down in, in Arnold, Missouri or somewhere else. Like, you know, I have no idea. And I'm hopeful that they did because it was a very enjoyable time for, for me, for sure. Maybe they all came up to Iowa City. <laughs> maybe, maybe they went to Iowa City and, and drank on the way up there because they were 19. <laughs> so um, related to that, were these, were the cars that you all drove, were they, was it this like part car show, part? Oh. Part. So not everybody, we didn't have those at, at, in the early stages, but as we could get more and more into that, yes, we did um, We did have nicer cars on nice rims with nice paint jobs. And certainly, you know, this was at a time when sound systems was the thing to have, right? Yes, traffic, right. traffic jams was a spot in um, in U City on Olive, right across from Heman Park, and uh, and that was a big a big deal. Um, traffic jams was like always popping, and that's where you wanted to go to support your local owned black business and get your you know your car alarm, your stereo system put in, your whatever kind of electronical upgrades you wanted in your car, right. um, and. Yeah, so you know, if we didn't have them, we'd still love to see them. We'd love to see it when when they were hopping down the street. We'd love to see uh, it when you know so, all of that. Oh yeah, so we were we're talking about two slightly different generations of cars because mm -hmm. uh, remember, well, of course you're going to remember the the sort of. Uh, the car shows that you would see in the the music videos started to take place after we were cruising, uh -huh. right? after we were cruising in high school. Did you, in that music that you were, that you're booming, who was popular at that time for the music? And also how were you looked at being the white guy in the middle of this, this, black social function um you know i was probably uh looked at uh, and you know and double taked uh quite a bit um i i was shy socially as far as once you once i get to know you i'm an open book i'm a crack my jokes i'm gonna say what i gotta say i'm gonna let you in to my way of thinking but in the beginning, and especially around girls, I was timid, and 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 uh, so I just was there, literally 
I've almost lived my entire life as a social observer. Um, and, and I just really enjoyed being that and being around people that I knew had my back. Like you said, you know, I, I wasn't going cruising if it wasn't with at least three other people in my car. Right. right? And um, so, or at least with several other cars too, full of people. So um, I just, I, I was there experiencing it from a social experiment um, kind of thing. I did, there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue back and forth for me during cruising where the dialogue really happened was at sporting events. Um, and what I mean by that is like midnight basketball came out when we right. were in prime of like high school to early college. And that was another great time and experience for me. And that was in the hood, in the inner city. I was definitely one of, if not the only one, one of two at most white boys walking up into Wolves Center, right? Mm -hmm. Was also on uh, King's Highway and Dr. Martin Luther King, and so, right, <clears throat> like, and then when we go to other parks, we were going into what would be called dangerous areas, and so there was this sort of time when we were having, you know, the the adult leagues, and we were the young kids coming into the adult leagues, but because we played together so much, and I didn't play, I just was the fan. Um, we, you know, they, uh, they knew everybody. And that's where I would get challenged sometime or somebody drunk would come up talking shit and up oh, the police are here and this, that, and the other, or y'all soft or, you know, um, white boy, what's up with this, that, and the other. And sometimes you actually would be, you'd get sort of the cool guy who you could see that led sort of his social group and he would come up and just actually be cool with me. And that way that helped me because everybody else would see him being cool with me. Then I didn't have to be challenged by everybody. Right. If he, if one of his people kind of got out of line trying to challenge me a little bit or say something about my white ass or this, that, and the other, or, you know, what, what you doing over here kind of thing. And he was like, Hey, let him be, or he would say something back to me in a very, welcoming way it would calm things down quite easily <clears throat> so that was the heart of it right and that right. was the experience in the inner city in the county it was about going to the mall it was about being you know at at the local park but the two main sports because nelly and and kiwan played softball and once again played with all the adults uh at Heeman Park was a big softball. At the at Fairground Park, which is in the heart of the inner of the north side, was a big softball community. And you know, if we went to both of them, I'd be typically the only kind of white guy in the softball um, area. But in U City, it would be different. In, in the inner city, it would be a lot more stairs and. And, uh, and whatnot. And there was a lot more, you know, women around even then watching the softball or trying to get with guys and hang out and all of that. And so that softball experience that you're telling me about, 
those were organized leagues and y'all would play from yeah. what what uh april to october yeah basically every weekend and sometimes on monday nights or wednesday nights or whatever one night mm -hmm. on the weekend i mean one night during the week one day during the weekend mm -hmm. and you could have two, three games going on, right? Like you have a, uh, or maybe two games on the same day kind of thing. Um, right. If you had one early on the weekend and then another one later, but yeah. And it's did the community, did the community show up for that? I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, not only did they show up, but like the people who played, it was so many that their families would be there, their friends, and then they would watch the other teams play as they were kind of hanging out and just, it, it was a good, you know, baseball is great for drinking beers and talking shit, right? <laughs> it really is. So softball being the same thing, just with a different type of style of pitching, it's great for drinking beers, talking shit, even barbecuing and just, you know, having a really good social atmosphere built in absolutely so did you play much at all or were you for softball yeah. you were you were the guy um, keeping stats growing up was tennis i did play uh little league baseball but by the time we got to softball i was just ready to be a fan i liked my my belly and and i was good <laughs> uh I, I was good for just just being a fan got you got you so tell I me more. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think I, I also I wouldn't have played a different position than Kiwan, who was our second baseman, and there was no way I was going to get any playing time with him being the second baseman. So right, that was another reason why I chose to just be a fan. When when you were talking about midnight basketball, that's. Uh, that was in what the early nineties? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Early to mid nineties. Yeah. That is fascinating. So here's where, here's where some of my life has come back to full circle. That came out in the. It was a crime bill, and right. that was that money was allocated to states so that right. they could have midnight basketball because they found that young people including young black men would get themselves into danger between 11 and one uh, i think it was 11 and two in the morning uh -huh. so when the policymakers were were making policy they said we'll open up gyms we'll give basketballs we'll pay for this and all of a sudden these midnight basketball leagues developed across the country mm -hmm. when you were watching that was there was there a community presence in that so that fans turned out to watch these ball games or oh yeah i mean again this was from being in the county, which you city is still part of the county, the midnight basketball took place in the inner city. And so it wasn't a lot of folks from where we grew up, but it was all of us that 
all of my friends that played basketball and I would go to watch. And even if they weren't playing, we would go. We, we were ingrained in that community of basketball players at that time. And we would just go and watch. And it would be, man, it would be a fun, fun experience because you'd see shit talking. You'd see people getting dunked on. You'd see, you know, the, the announcer had his jokes and everything. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can remember my, my friends having children right around that time, starting to have young kids. And I would be holding the kids and, and it would just be a real fun community thing and and walls was if you didn't know the inner city right if it was my aunt and uncle coming and be like hey i want to join you for midnight basketball they would go inside walls see all of the fence so to speak looking like crap on the windows and and Mm -hmm. the door windows and and have to go through the security to get in and um and they would see that even during the day and be like, uh, this is where we're going. I don't feel safe. And um, I I loved it. I did. It, it just, it reminds me like when I was in college, um, because most inner city colleges, you know, large colleges are in the inner cities of these, you know, uh, populations. And so at St. Louis U, when I went there, um, and I know we'll get into college later, but there was a point in one of my classes where they were discussing going to the north side, and it was a bunch of white students talking about, well, just a mile north from here, and you could go there, and you might get killed. And I went, yeah, not you. And they were, what do you mean? If you go there, they're much more nervous about making sure you get out alive than you think. You're not as much in danger. There's hope you leave because you bring police trouble. You getting hurt means somebody's going to jail and they don't even care about investigating who did it if it's not an easy investigation. Right. Uh, we're going to end this on somebody. Somebody's going to jail. So white people's presence in those areas you're actually safer than you think because there's not a history of random acts of violence against white folks, even in a retaliation to random mass killings against black folks in the white community. But we project, we hear the violence, we project there's been racism, so we think you're going to want revenge. We project all these things and it, it became this whole thing of like I can remember being dropped off into certain communities during the day and you just see boarded up buildings and halfway burnt down buildings. And mm-hmm. you know, St. Louis Northside was left for shit when white flight took place. Right. And my aunt or somebody would drop me off and go, you come down here? And they would feel bad that people had to live that way. It wasn't judgmental, but it was still a fear and a like, oh my God, I did not know. And I'm like, yeah, you live, it only took us 15 minutes to get down here. Right. There's so much of this unknown that it was a, it was an experience that they didn't know. And I have become so comfortable in that setting that it didn't, it, it, 
I have to remind myself constantly, um, even now, it will, if I go around black folks, I have to remind myself, uh, these black folks don't know you, stupid. Like, you can't just <laughs> be everything you think you can be. Or around white folks, like, oh, you really don't know that experience very much. Right. And so it, it, it was, um, it, like I said, I, I just have looked at my life as a social ex experiment slash just as a social observer. And at some point, you, I, we need to discuss the functions of police, right? I mean, you hit on something here. Uh, the way someone described it for me was that depending on the neighborhood, and I think we can see this, if it's a wealthy neighborhood, the police are designed to keep the bad people out. Yeah. And then if it's a bad neighborhood, they're supposed to keep the people in. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're watching some of these riots, I'm, and I use the term loosely, Please do. We, we watch and watch where things are confined because they're never going out to the suburbs, so to speak. They go to the places that can be that can be destroyed. Right. And then gentrified. <laughs> back, yeah, there's a power dynamic in this. Right. And um, oh, go ahead, it's, please. It's often ignored in conversation and in media presentation, so Go ahead. When you were observing, did you find out that were there white teams that came in and played? It was all black? Oh, yeah. I know. You know what? I remember going to some tournaments in, in South uh, City, I mean, South County and whatnot, where there was mostly white teams. And black teams would come there and play. I can remember maybe a few, um, if I really think hard enough, that times where I could see folks of different colors. But for real, it was segregated like everything else. This was the black league. That was the white league. Don't come across those lines kind of thing. And I think there was more a willingness to be inviting from the black folks, but they were also going to be themselves. And if white folks just felt uncomfortable, they would just go to the white league, right? Right. Wow. I would be curious to find out if there were places, because you've spoken of segregation and, and I have done it in a kind of roundabout way myself, whether there was a white cruising area. I would, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could. I knew somebody to ask about that, but I'm going to have to check into that. And uh, just from my own knowledge, whether we can report it back on this, I need to do some researching on, on that. You know, if it wasn't for high school sports, that's probably where the most integration was, at least in St. Louis. And I, I remember this conversations that I've had with, with uh, white men, um, who 
who have told me how sports coming to U City for playing basketball because they went to Lafayette High School and that was down in the in the county in the in the white areas or they went to some other you know rural uh, spot or West County coming into U City and or playing basketball in general U City players coming there at least gave you an interaction right and we we touched on this but that you got to be uh, and see black folks and interact with them in the same way that you have to interact with your teammates, they have to interact with theirs. And U City's gym is scary. It is, we are, no, seriously, the, the court is down here, the stands are up here in a U. There's one wall and then the rest of the stands is up above, screaming down at the player. Oh, wow. That is fucking scary for anybody. I don't care black, white, remove race for a moment. That is a scary place to come and play a basketball game in somebody's home, right? At most places you go, everybody's sitting on the ground. You know, no, we are sitting up above and looking down. We're at the level, like the bottom seats is at the level of the basket, right? Whoa. So looking down at everybody, that's a pretty daunting place. And so imagine white folks coming into this, playing this majority black team with, you know, the stands were had more speckled of white parents that, you know, came to support the community or whatever, but it's still a large black populated crowd and this is screaming down at you. Yeah, so that gave a, a, a uh, an added element to that for sure. Have they remodeled it or or no, have it, ever take that away? No, no, got, I'm just I'm just saying um like upgrade the facilities, keeping everything the way it was, but just I would imagine they did. I, I, uh, I, I believe so from the last time I was there, but I have not. I, oh man, I wish I would have gone and seen the gym the last time when I was there for my book signing. But um, yeah, I need to go back and, and just see the U City gym. Hmm. Nice. It's interesting. And this is probably going to be the last thing that I've got to say is that as one of the legacies of segregation is that we're seeing the developments of separate, I don't know necessarily equal, but we're seeing the developments of, of separate things, right? You've got a black league legacy. You've got a white league legacy of segregation. We're not able to determine whether white folks had a cruising area, but we're seeing because of the, segregation in st louis blacks up here white folks here mm -hmm. parallel developments for resources and outlets for recreation the delmar divide yep mm. interesting it is gosh it's almost time for us to wrap up jd it's about that time, and I look forward to continuing this kind of age of development um, conversations as we get into our college stories next, because 
how you become an adult and start to see the world through what you appear to know as you're becoming an adult is uh, is a really um, interesting, at least it was for me, it was very interesting times. And I know I'm seeing my son go through that now. And so I'm really looking forward to our next conversations about that kind of college age, college experience. Right. That's very similar to what my kids are telling me now that they're all adults. As a matter of fact, I want to give a shout out today. Uh, is this particular calendar day is my son's, my eldest son's first wedding anniversary. And oh, congratulations on that. Yeah, November 5th. <laughs> Anyhow, the question that we are going to be dealing with coming up dear listeners are going to be the ones that are in front of us and while you're getting to know us please understand that there's still more stories to be heard from us and hopefully we'll be able to tie many of the things that we've lived through into things that are happening today rest assured you're going to get dialogue about what's going on in front of us it may not be polished it may be a little unvarnished but we're going to get there and we're going to get there together all of this is happening organically and we're meeting each other every single week so you're learning about us at the same time we're learning about us doctor tell him just thank you all for listening for following along this is same difference podcast and i am jd mass and my co-host is Corey may we'll see you next week see you next week thank you thank you for tuning in to another inspiring episode of same difference we hope this journey through unique connections and diverse perspectives has left you with fresh insights and a broader understanding of the world we share. We're humbled by your support and enthusiasm for the incredible stories and discussions we've shared. And remember, our mission is to foster critical thinking, embrace new perspectives, and spark conversations that bring us closer to an equitable world. So, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Your feedback means the world to us, and it helps us reach even more listeners. And if you have a story to share or a topic you'd like us to explore, don't hesitate to get in touch. We're always looking for new voices and fresh perspectives to feature on Same Difference. Until next time, remember that our shared humanity is our most powerful asset. And by working together, we can bring about positive change. Stay curious, stay compassionate, and keep making a difference. Thank you for being a part of Same Difference. Take care, everyone. See you in the next episode.